The scripture reading today is Exodus 33, 1 through 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. But the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount, at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the Tent of Meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. This is the word of the Lord. This uh, passage in the book of Exodus talks about the presence of the Lord. This is about God's presence. As you may know, we've been studying the book of Exodus. The people of Israel have been delivered from their slavery in the land of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And last week we saw how they sinned grievously against God by worshiping an idol. They worshiped a golden calf. And so today... The issue that is at stake is whether or not God will go with them on the rest of their journey. Okay, Be, now, now that they've sinned against him, will they or will they not continue to enjoy the presence of the Lord? So this passage is talking about God's presence. And there are three quick questions that I want to ask about this concept of the presence of God today. And my questions are, what is it? What does the Bible mean when it talks about the presence of the Lord? What is it? Why is it important? And then thirdly, how can we experience the presence of God in our lives? So we'll start with what it is. 
when the Lord said to Moses, verse 14, my presence will go with you. What was he talking about? What did that mean? Now, here's the reason I asked that question. When I was a kid in Sunday school, if the teacher ever said to us, children, who can tell me where is God? We all knew the right answer to that question. The right answer is God is everywhere. Because that's what they taught us. It's, it's from the Bible. God is present at all times, in all places, throughout creation. It's called the biblical doctrine of divine omnipresence. God is present everywhere. So if God is present everywhere, in what meaningful sense could they be discussing here whether or not God would be present with them? I mean, he's always present, right? What, what do they mean? Well, this passage is not talking about God's physical presence or you might say his metaphysical presence. No, this passage is talking about God's relational presence. Now, what's the difference? Um, let's imagine you go to lunch with a friend and through basically the entire meal, she is looking at her phone, all right? She's checking her Facebook and she's sending texts and it starts to annoy you. So after a while you say, Susie, I wish you were present today. And she says, I'm present, I'm right here at the table. And you'd, you would say to her, no, you're present, but you're not present. Now, what would you mean by that? You mean that she's not engaging with you? She's not listening to you? She's not talking with you? She's not interacting with you in any kind of meaningful way? In other words, Susie is not treating you like a friend. Verse 11 says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. That's what it means to enjoy the relational presence of God. God speaking to you face to face as, as with a friend. So when Moses in verse 15 says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. He, he knows that God is present throughout the whole universe. When he says, if your presence doesn't go, here's what he means. He means, God, I don't want to lose your face to face friendship. I want you interacting with me. I want, I want your relational presence in my life. In fact, the word, the word that is translated presence, presence in this passage, it, it, it's actually the Hebrew word for face. I, I, I think that the reason we feel, when people are looking at their phones, I think the reason we feel that they're not really present with us is because we don't see their face, right? You just see the top of their head. They're, they're looking down like this. Well, when God says in, in verse 14, my presence, presence will, will go with you. He's saying, Moses, you will have my face. I will turn my face toward my people. I, in other words, I will be with you in a covenantal, relational way. I will engage with you. I will listen to you. I will talk with you. I'll be present with you that way. So what do we mean by God's presence? We're talking about his relational presence. And if you enjoy God's presence that way, listen, you know God. You don't just know about him. You know him. And he knows you and he is involved with your life. So that's what it means. Now, why, why is God's presence important? And apparently, uh, judging from this passage, it is very important. As we said in the chapter right before this, uh, the people betrayed the Lord, they worshiped an idol, and so now God is mad at them. And God says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send my angel, he's going to lead you to the promised land, he's going to give you the land, you will receive your inheritance, the milk, the honey, all, everything that we promised, 
but I'm not going with you. And when God says that and the people hear this, they grieve. They are broken by these words, which is weird because if you think about it, God was offering them the kind of religion that most Americans are looking for, right? He was offering them health, wealth, and prosperity, and you don't have to deal with God. I mean, what's wrong with that? That's what people want. He's offering them the promised land, all these material blessings, but without his presence. And when they hear that, they are devastated. They grieve. Verse Verse 4 says, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments, which was, was a way of dis, just displaying their absolute, utter grief at this. So why were they so grieved? Why, why was the relational, covenantal presence of God so important? Here's why. The Bible teaches us that every human being is created... The biblical phrase is, in God's image. And one of the things that means is that, listen, you were designed for a lot more than merely being a worker, being a consumer, being a taxpayer, being a parent, being, being a spouse, being a citizen. No, you were, listen, you were designed to have a personal relationship with your Creator. That's what you were made for. The old Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the, uh, the chief end of man, just meaning the primary purpose of any human life is what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You were designed to enjoy God. The old uh, French philosopher, mathematician, Blaise Pascal, he said, he said there is a God-shaped vacuum, a God-shaped whole in the heart of every human being. He said the problem is that we, we go through life trying to fill that hole, fill that emptiness with things other than God, with sex, with money, with art, with pleasure. And he says none of those things ever satisfy us because it's a God-shaped hole. Only God can fill that. So this apparently is what the people of Israel had learned. They learned it the hard way, didn't they? The chapter before this, Pastor Jeffrey preached last week, they, they tried living for something other than God. They tried worshiping an idol. They, they, they thought something else could satisfy them, that golden calf, and the result was a disaster. Their whole life together as a community just spiraled into emptiness and chaos. And so when they heard God say to them, I'm going to give you the promised land. You're going to have everything, any human. You're going to have all the, the, the material blessings, but you won't have me. When they heard that, they wept. And Moses wept, verse 15, he said, if your presence, your face doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. He said, like saying, God, I would rather die here in the desert than live one day without your presence with me. So here's what they learned. They learned it the hard way. They learned that life without God is not really life. It's not. I wonder, have you learned that yet? Mark, Mark Twain said the two most significant days in the life of any, any person are the day that they're born and the day they discover why they were born. So let me ask you, have you discovered why you were born? Listen, you were born, you were designed, you were created 
You were designed for the presence of God. That's the one thing that will say the presence of God in your life. A, an intimate relationship with the eternal one. That's, so that's why this is important. So what is it? Why is it important? My third question, how, how can we experience God's presence in, in our lives? Here's what I would say. Two things. First, judging from today's passage, if you really want to experience God's presence in your life, you need to seek it. You need to want it. You need to seek it. God's presence. And this, that thought is a drumbeat that re resounds throughout the entire canon of Scripture. Again and again, we are told, seek God. Deuteronomy 4 verse 29 says, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Psalm, Psalm 105 verse 4 says, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face. You could translate that, seek his presence always. So I'm, I'm convinced the problem, the problem with many, many people is not that they want too much out of life. No. The problem with many people is they want too little. They settle for lesser things. They settle for comfort and security and eating in nice restaurants and going on vacations. They, as, listen, as if any of those things could ever satisfy the deepest need of a human soul. They, they settle for life without the presence, without the presence of God. C.S. Lewis famously wrote, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when, when infinite joy is offered to us. He said, we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer, offer of a vacation by the sea. We settle for life without God. Can you, imagine, can you imagine how the whole story of redemptive history would be different if the Israelites would have settled? You know, if they would have just said, oh, oh, you'll give us the promised land and we don't have to have you with us. Oh, that's fine. Can you imagine if they had settled? Don't you thank God that they didn't? They were a broken-hearted people. There's, listen, um, whenever there is a, a community of people who are broken before God, hungering for God, God is ready to do something big. And so that's how they were. They, they mourned. They grieved. They sought God's presence. And I would just suggest to you that if, if any of us really want to know God in this way, experience his presence we need to do the same thing. We need to seek him. So here's, here's two thoughts. If, you're, if you are not a Christian or you're not sure if you're a Christian, you're not really sure if you believe, my challenge for you, okay, would be to begin to cry out to God and seek him. To kind of say, God, I, I mean, I'm not even sure if you're real, but if you are, make yourself known to me. A good way to do that is just begin to read scripture. Just read it with this question in mind. Do you do you sense a ring of truth when you read it? Just begin to read it and pray and say, God, if you're real. I had a friend who, in high school, she was, she was so depressed, suicidal. She actually said that to God. God, if you're real, prove it. He did. So if you're not a Christian, I'd encourage you, just begin to seek like that. Now, if you are a Christian, you say, well, I know God already. I don't need any of this. Listen, would you? You'd agree with me, right? Just 
believers, just because we know God, that doesn't mean we can't know him better, right? I mean, all right, Moses. Moses in this passage, he is described as having had an, an incredibly close intimate relationship with God. He would go out to this little tent and it says like the Lord would meet with him and speak to him face to face like with his own friend. So he, Moses had a close relationship with God and yet when you read on this on in this chapter, do you know what Moses is doing? He's crying out for more. He wants more. He's saying, God, show me your glory. I want to know you better. So isn't that intriguing that someone who knew God that well, in fact, I think this is a sign of someone who does know God well, he or she will be saying, I want more. I want to know you better. I want a deeper experience of your spirit's work in my life. And so ACC believers there, can you imagine, what do you think might happen in this church if we would begin to cry out like that, God, we want, with broken hearts, we want to know your presence more deeply. What would happen? I don't know. Let's find out. Hmm? So um, how can we experience God's presence? The first thing is we need to seek it. But that's not enough. Second thing is you need someone else to seek it for you. You need someone who's worthier than you are. You need someone who has a better relationship with God than you do. You need someone else to ask God in your behalf to give that, to give his presence to you. So you notice in this passage, the Israelites, they seek God's presence, and that, that doesn't do the trick. God is still ready to turn his back on him. He's like, no, you're stiff-necked people. Don't ask me for my presence. I'm not going with you. And you can understand why. I mean, listen, they were idolaters. They had been unfaithful. It wasn't enough for them to seek. It notice in this, did you notice in this passage, it's not until Moses asks God for his presence that the Lord finally says, okay, I will go with my people. It's so the Lord wouldn't agree when it was just the people seeking, but it's when Moses, this man who had this close relationship with God, when he asked, God says, okay, I'll be with them. Verse 17 says, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you. And it's singular there. I'm pleased with you, Moses. And I know you, Moses, by name. So because you're asking Moses, I will go with them. So it's only when it's only when Moses, someone worthier than them, asked for the presence that the Lord agreed to be with the people. And I would just say that it's the same with us. If we want God's presence, we need someone, someone worthy. We need someone who has a close relationship with the Father to ask for us. And here's, guys, here's the good news on Pentecost Sunday. We have someone like that. In fact, guys, we have someone better than Moses. Moses, listen, they had someone who was God's friend. Hmm? We have God's son, Jesus. And here's the good news. He has already asked the Father to go with us. He's already asked the Father to give his presence to us. You know, on Pentecost Sunday, the, the, the early believers were gathered in, in that upper room and they were praying and, and, and God poured out his presence poured out his spirit on them in this mighty way. Do you know why God poured out his spirit on them? 
Because they were such sincere people. No. Because they were such good people. No. Because they prayed so hard. No. God poured out his spirit on them because Jesus had already ascended into the Father's presence. Jesus, the one who was worthy. Jesus, the one who was faithful. He went to the Father's presence. And he had asked on their behalf. Jesus said to his disciples the night before he died in in John 14, knowing that he would die and rise and go to be with the Father, here's what he said he would do. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So that's the good news. That's good news on Pentecost Sunday. Anyone here who really, really wants to know the presence of the living God in their life, there's two conditions. You have to seek him, and someone worthy has to ask on your behalf. And the good news is the second condition has already been fulfilled. So if you seek him, you will find. Hear me. If you seek him, you will find. The spirit is available for us. And that's reason to rejoice. Amen? Let's pray. Father, take your word. Apply it to our hearts. Give us faith to respond. For Christ's sake, amen.